0: Hey, hey, water coolians, welcome back from summer break to a- another episode of Water Cooler Talk. Before we jump into who our guest is and what the heck kind of stories did i find this time i want to bring up a few house cleaning items during the summer break we were nominated as one of 10 finalists for the best news and politics podcast for the 2021 podcast awards as well as being nominated for a handful of additional awards including the third coast international audio festival so send your best wishes throughout the remainder of the year and hopefully we will be able to bring home a few awards to celebrate i also have officially started development on a companion show to pair with water cooler talk by the end of the year, as a Christmas gift to you, I will officially be revealing the next show in the water cooler talk lineup that will finally allow me to tap into my love of history and retell events that just might have been told wrong the first time around. You know, you know those events that you learned in history and then 10 years later, you're like, wow, they taught me the wrong thing. And yes, for those who have sent the emails, I've gotten those emails. Our deep dive series is still in development because there might be an option for that show to debut on one of your favorite streaming platforms in the future. But I have to keep a little more tight lipped on that project for the time being. And with that, to the reason why you're here, today's episode, we are joined by new friend of the program, Jeff Abraham, to talk about sexual wellness, normalizing the penis, and building a conversation around the idea of how, as a society... We have changed the view of masculinity throughout the years. From this episode, the big idea that I generally believe is important from the conversation, especially in the age of body acceptance, is including genitalia into that conversation. Just like there are these different types of bodies, there are these different types of penises, vaginas, breasts. And as in previous episodes, as we've explored many past relationships within male vulnerability, how society views the penis is an important topic of discussion. And it is, it is kind of cool to see how that conversation ha- is, is happening more and more in mainstream media, whether it be Euphoria on HBO or, you know, Little Dickie show Dave on FX. Being more aware of the scope of what a penis can and does look like can be extremely helpful for those who don't have that typical quote-unquote porn penis to feel comfortable with the pipes they do have. I, you know, share my own story uh, overhearing a, a girl talking about how she only sleeps with guys with eight-inch penises or more in the episode. But as a man, the possibility of having those self-conscious feelings about your penis can and will show themselves, whether it be self-conscious or just, you know, straight up conscious. And ultimately, they can negatively impact your romantic and sexual relationships as well as impact your feelings as a man in general. We're often told much of our masculinity first starts with the penis. But at the end of the day, and to be honest, in some cases it might take a bit longer, but for the men out there who worry about their penis, your penis soulmate or soulmates is out there. All in all, the past two years have been kind of bizarre. So maybe we end the year with a penis acceptance movement. Who knows? I'm just a guy in my basement recording studio who's definitely a-okay with his penis. (laughs) So without further ado... Ladies and gentlemen, this is Water Cooler Talk, episode 67, titled, Different Strokes, with Jeff Abraham. Enjoy! This is the story of a podcast that takes weird news from across the world. And while many of these stories may seem fake, they're absolutely not. Because they're real. Alright, well Jeff, are you ready to jump into our first news story of the episode? Ready to roll. This is from RTL Today World, June 1st, 2021. Danish kids TV show centered on man with world's longest penis raises eyebrows. A Danish animated show which revolves around the life of John Dillerman, the man with the world's longest penis, of course, has since premiered on the Danish public service children's channel DR Ramajang, and has raised more than a few eyebrows by concerned adults. The target audience of the show, children aged 4 to 8, watches as Dillerman uses his penis when he finds himself in need of, for example, a longer leash for his dog, helping a neighbor raise a flag. (laughs) Or even stealing ice cream from a child, which uh, he later is embarrassed by doing. Reactions across social media and the internet have been mixed. Some describe it as upsetting and not suitable for children, or have proclaimed it to be too pornographic. Others have been worried that their children will get the wrong impression from watching the show, thinking that exposing their genitals might be an acceptable practice. You don't want kids thinking they can use their penis to steal ice cream from another child. (laughs) <laughs> but, the, but those on the other side of the Dillerman debate say adults are reading too much into the immediate optics of the cartoon, and instead of focusing on the non-sexual message and sexual education that the show presents, are instead viewing it through the sexualized lens of an adult. Morten Skov Hansen, the head of DR Ramachong, issued a statement saying that the show will continue to be aired as planned and would not have been created in the first place if it did not have development help by Sex and Sanford, a Danish association for sexual education. Uh, So, Jeff, you're a father yourself. Uh, I believe your son is a bit older than the age demographic for this show. He's 32. (laughs) But as a father, what were your views on having these types of conversations when he was younger?
1: I wanted my son to feel very comfortable sexually. I, from a very early age, was very open about the fact that I, his dad, even though I was single, I raised him as a single dad, was a sexual person but I didn't flaunt it. I made sure that for me, until he was about 16 or 17, that I was in a secure relationship and that someone would be introduced to him gradually before they would ever stay over at my house. Because I wanted him to at least have the feeling, don't be overly promiscuous. Because when kids are in high school, their hormones start racing to begin with. I didn't want him to be out of control. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. So have I. So I was really careful. Now, fast forward to now and my son's like, dad, I love you to death. We're really close. But sometimes I got to hear you waxing poetic about your sex life on a podcast. You know, you're my dad. I mean, I can't listen to it. You know, and I think back if it was my dad, of course, he was married to my mom for 50 years. I would have been like, oh, that's disgusting, you know? So one of the things I did once he became of age, I encouraged him to explore his sexuality. I would have never, ever been upset if I caught him masturbating, you know, like that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. And I encouraged him when he was 16, 17 and started the date to use birth control, to be careful, to make sure he didn't catch any diseases, to make sure he never got anyone pregnant. You know, I grew up in Western Pennsylvania where your parents literally hammered on you that, you know, that's bad. You know, masturbation will make you blind and You grow hair on your palms, you know, right now I wouldn't be doing this interview because I wouldn't, I'd have so much hair on my palms. I couldn't even log in and I'd be blind. I couldn't find the uh, control. So it's one of those things that I looked at things that I thought were wrong in my childhood, want to make sure they were right in his. I encouraged him to be a sexual human being, but at the same time to be responsible and to take, you know, accountability for his actions and his health and not to hopefully have any unwanted pregnancies, you know, those types of things. Fortunately, he listened to everything and, you know, has turned out to be a really fine young man. But I think it's it's really irresponsible for parents not to do that in this day and age, okay? Kids should not feel that these sexual feelings that they start getting at 14, 15, 16, sometimes even earlier, are negative. They're not. They're part of life. It's a function, just like eating and drinking and everything else, you get aroused, okay? I think that's one of the reasons we have so many sexual hangups in our society is you start teaching people that normal feelings are bad, that normal desires are bad. You know, the idea that there are still some people in this country that teach their daughters and even their sons in some cases that sex before marriage is inappropriate. You know, or you should save that for marriage. It's such a big part of life. Why would you want to get married then find out you're incompatible sexually? That's that's insane to me. Now, I'm not trying to pass value judgments on people that that's their thing, but my life and my experience has taught me that people get married at a very young age, generally tend to get divorced because they don't have a lot of growing to do, and because. You really don't know what you want sexually if you've only been with the person you're married
0: with. I think it's important to connect with someone emotionally, but also another part of connecting with someone is sexually.
1: Yeah, I'm assuming if you're getting married and you're in a relationship, you've already connected emotionally. Mm -hmm. Of course, that's the fundamental building block is you have to have an emotional connection. You have to have open and honest communication. But I really believe that normalizing talk about sex making kids from a young age feel that sex is normal, that it's a desire that under the proper circumstances, that it's great and it makes you feel good is positive and not give this feeling that it's negative or bad or, you know, that it's the, you know, forbidden fruit, so to speak. Mm
0: -hmm. Yeah. And I mean, I had, I had very good parents and, you know, we had talks here and there, but it was nothing ever concrete. And, you know, I'm a big advocate of way better sexual education in schools because i think it's horrible but even growing up it's like i'm learning how to do all these things from movie tv shows porn and you're getting this wrong idea of what it is like even growing up like i very much like my penis and i like what it can do and you know what it can provide for other people but growing up i had this self-conscious idea of what my penis should be because i never really had someone i could talk to or feel comfortable talking about what a penis should look like. Because I mean, half the world is men. So about half the world has a penis. And it's such a normal thing. But there's this taboo around a penis that even like we have to use prosthetics in movies and TV shows, because we don't actually want to show the real thing. But that's what we almost need to see. We need to normalize the idea of having more penises in our life. Because there are people that have penises that don't look like the penises in porn. And they're like, well, dang, what's wrong with my penis? Should I get like a surgery or should I be ashamed of this? Exactly.
1: I'll be honest with you. You're much younger than me. And I tell people that I'm very fortunate and I really am happy that I grew up and I first started my sexual adventures prior to porn, Mm -hmm. prior to having iPhones. The ease of porn. Yeah. yeah. When I was sexually initiated, I was 14 or 15 years old. I forget right in that juncture. It was 1971. Okay, the only phone hung on your wall. You know, and you had to go punch your numbers in. And you had to be 18 to go to a porn arcade. You know, so I had never seen porn. The first couple of times I had sex and I'm fumbling and bumbling around, you know what I mean? And lasting 45 seconds, I thought I was a stud. I'm like, oh, <laughs> you know, I'm really rocking it. If I, I got this down. If I would have had sex for the first time, And I had been watching porn, and my expectation was every guy had a nine-inch penis. It was the circumference of a beer can. They fought for 45 minutes, and then right before they ejaculated, they jumped off, ran across the room, and shot her in the forehead from 12 feet away with a direction. I would have been just riddled with anxiety and went, I am so inadequate. I would have been in line. I need a surgery. I need that. You know what I mean? It'd be like... I don't measure up in any aspect. So I don't understand how parents don't have that conversation with kids right now because there's no one that's 11 or 12 years old in this country now that doesn't have a cell phone Mm -hmm. because they needed to call their parents from school. If you have a cell phone, you have access to the Internet. I would venture to say that 99% of people growing up now have watched porn before their sexual experience, their first sexual experience.
0: Yeah, I think for men, it's around like 90 to 96% of uh, young adults, young adult males have watched porn.
1: And the other 4% are lying. Yeah,
0: (laughs) Yeah, exactly.
1: (laughs) Or they're Amish and they don't have a phone. They don't have a phone. (laughs) Because I remember one time when I was growing up, well, I was actually in my 20s, I read this study and said – 97% of men masturbate. The first thing I thought, the other 3% are lying. Yeah, it's like peeing
0: in the shower. Everyone pees in the shower. If you say you don't, you're the one who does it the most.
1: Why would you get out of the shower and go use the restroom (laughs) when you're in the shower water's running down the drain? You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. It'd be like, yeah. Yeah, so to me, it's very important now that parents have the sex talk with their children Mm -hmm. and let them know what the average penis looks like. Let them know what the average duration of intercourse is. Let them know... It's not normal to hop off your partner right across the room and most women don't like ejaculate in their face, okay? It's like- well, yeah, I remember
0: I had gone to this college party and I was overhearing this conversation and this girl was talking about how she doesn't get with guys that aren't over eight inches. And I'm just like, there's not a lot of those guys out there. So, I know for a fact you're lying, but even as you know a young man, I was like, well, shit. Do I need to be bigger? Yeah. I mean, there's guys, you know, I think the average penis size is five and a half inches or about around there. Five, right
1: right about five and a half.
0: According to the National Library of Medicine, the average erect penis for males is between 5.1 and 5.5 inches. And after taking any biases into account, they estimate that that is towards the lower end. But there's so many other ways to be able to pleasure a partner, whether it be a male or a female or you know, transgender. There's so many other ways to pleasure someone that you don't always have to have this thick, girthy piece of meat slamming into them.
1: There's a lot of women – and you learn this when you do what I do for a living because it's all I do is talk about sex all day every day with all these physicians and therapists – that there's 42% of women that have never climaxed during intercourse mm-hmm. because in some cases they have a hooded clitoris or in some cases their anatomy is a little bit different. So they require direct, you know, oral or digital stimulation, you know, and so many women and even therapists that I talk to, well, here's a, here's a prime example. Cosmo did a study, and I think it was in 2010 or 2011, and they asked a thousand men, what one thing could you do to improve your intimacy? And 73% of the men said bigger penis. So they asked a thousand women, what's one thing that can happen that would improve your intimacy? You're not going to believe it. It It's exactly the opposite. And like 78% of women said a longer session of sexual activity. So women wanted men to last longer and every man thinks the whole key is having a big penis.
0: Yeah, they think that's the key to unlocking the female orgasm. Yeah,
1: and I talked to women who have actually told me Guys with bigger penises, it's like that old adage when the high school good-looking girl never developed a personality because she didn't have to because she was good-looking. And a lot of women will say, a guy sometimes with an abnormally large penis will just go, that's all I need. And the first thing they wanna do is put me on my back and just slam into me, you know what I mean? It's like, whoa, whoa, whoa. And I've actually had people, and even in my job, you know, when we talk to customers and stuff, women will say, guys just need to slow down, take their time, extend foreplay, make sure they last a little bit longer. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And it's the entire experience. It's not just having Mm -hmm. a giant (laughs)
0: penis. Yeah. So John Dillerman, the longest penis in the world. There you go. Well, do you think a show like – this animated John Dillerman show could work in the US.
1: I don't think it would ever pass the censors. I don't think it yeah. would ever <laughs> even either. That would never either. come close to getting but on here.
0: But it would be so helpful. And that's, you know, the tough thing. It's like this is a show, and I don't know if you had a chance to like watch an episode, but it's actually really educational towards teaching young kids about just normalizing what a penis is, what a vagina is. I mean, these are yeah, things, I like I said. I love
1: the idea of normalizing sex. I love the idea of saying, don't be afraid of a penis. Make it funny. You know what I mean? Make it something that people relate to. I'm not sure, though, you have to pick the guy with the world's longest penis to do it. (laughs) You know what I mean? Because that might fit into that stereotype of, wow, I'm only seven inches. You know what I mean? And this guy's seven
0: feet. This guy's (laughs) seven
1: feet. Okay. So... I would actually embrace it more if it was a regular, but although if it was a regular one, you couldn't raise flags with it. You You couldn't steal
0: ice cream cones from kids. You couldn't steal ice cream
1: cones. You couldn't turn on the TV from four feet away with your penis. You know, so it would defeat the purpose. But I think a show that had more normal anatomy might be, but then you would lose the whole effect. So I think it's good in the fact of normalizing penises. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. But I just hope, and it's done in a way, because like I said, I watched an episode That doesn't focus strictly on, oh, my God, you need to have a penis this size, which is great. But I can tell you, even what we face in getting some stuff aired for regular terrestrial radio and TV, oh, my God, the censorship. It's like, where are we? Really? Are we back in Puritan times? Well, we can't possibly say that during a morning drive time.
0: Really? And uh, So have you found with like marketing, you have to kind of get more creative with how you describe the product and –
1: Oh, even Facebook ads, even Instagram ads. It's insane. You can't mention sex. You can't mention bodily parts. You can't say premature ejaculation. You know, we're allowed somehow as a society to allow false conspiracy theories and anti-vax nonsense, you know, all (laughs) over the Internet. (laughs) But we can't discuss sexual problems. And here we are as a company that has FDA compliant products manufactured under pharmaceutical grade conditions with an advisory board of the physicians, including the president of the Sexual Medicine Society and the president of the International Society of Sexual Medicine, we can't say, hey, this is great for lasting longer in bed. But all this other nonsense, you, I'm like, wait, where am I? Okay, well, am I in 1600 or 2021? Well, that's
0: that's the thing. It's, you know, like something like premature ejaculation. Like men have this. Men can and do have this. And it's something that should be more talked about because if we can talk about it more, you know, there's this less stereotype of, you know, that like, Oh, here comes that, you know, two pump chump. and But this might happen to your friends, you know, this might happen to your neighbors, you know, this happens to a lot more guys than this could happen what we to think you. it is. Exactly. exactly.
1: Here's the one thing I'll tell you that people need to understand. Let's step out of the realm of premature ejaculation, and talk about the average healthy male and the average healthy female. And when I say this, people are like, what? The average healthy male lasts five minutes and 42 seconds of penetration and thrusting. The average female takes 18 minutes of penetration and thrusting to climax. It's called the arousal gap. The arousal gap, gap, yep. It's an actual term. I'm like, even before we talk about PE, why do you think so many guys are like, I'm the master of cunnilingus, you know what I mean? And everybody, every man, and anyone who says they haven't experienced this at some point in their life is lying, just like, I've never masturbated, okay? Oh, you have no arms, no wonder, you know what I mean? (laughs) Like, you're a double amputee at birth, okay? So... Any man who says they haven't been acutely aware during intercourse of whether or not their partner has climaxed yet. I can't tell you times in my life where I was like, oh, my God, I hope she doesn't go reverse cowgirl. I can't last at that position. I'm almost there. She's not there yet. You know, it's a thought that you have. And everyone's been in this position where you date someone who takes as a female a lot longer to climax than maybe someone else. Mm -hmm. Because women's anatomies are different. There is some women, and everyone's been through this situation, will tell you, hey, I'm very sensitive. You just have to touch around my clitoris, too much direct pressure, you know, I'm very sensitive. Then you date someone like a year later, they're like, okay, get a jackhammer, put sandpaper on it, put it right on the clitoris. <laughs> I, and I'm like, how can this be the same species?
0: How can yeah, one woman- is, Yeah, I know, I definitely agree with that. There's been like people I've been with where, you know, something works for this girl, but it doesn't work for the next girl. And that's why I think, Communication is so important. Communication
1: because you, is the fundamental building block. Because
0: yeah. if you do, that sex is going to be a million times better. Yeah.
1: I tell people all the time that communication is the fundamental building block of any relationship. Not just partner, sexual, but I mean, family members, friends, co-workers, but especially sexually. Mm-hmm. If you're intimate with someone, how can you not communicate and tell them what you like? It's like, why would you hope? They figure out what you like. Why would you hope that they eventually unlock the keys and figure it out? Why would you lay there going, oh, this doesn't feel good, but I don't want to, you know, I don't want to tell him it might hurt his feelings, you know? I always tell a woman when I'm first with her, I say, I want you to masturbate for me. A lot of times they're like, what? I go, what better way to show me how to please you than for me to watch you pleasing yourself? And sometimes they'll go, well, okay. And they do it under the covers. I go, pull the covers down. I'm very... Visual and I'm a voyeur, Okay. But I'm also learning. Oh, okay. She likes direct stimulation here. Not there. This is a kind of speed, not too fast, soft, you know, you can either wait for me to figure it out or you can just give me the GPS code so I can bring mm-hmm. it right away. And, okay. You know, if you don't want that awkward couple weeks or months where I'm figuring out what you like, help me, you know, let me know right away.
0: Yeah. You know, like you you said earlier, like sex and orgasming is such a pleasurable experience. Like let's figure out, let's talk to each other. Let's be open about what we're into, what we're not into. So we can get to that point where, you know, we're coming together and like, we're really having this intense, multiple intense moments together, because that's just going to make having sex and orgasming so much better. Absolutely. It's the key.
1: If you feel uncomfortable and you can't communicate with someone, maybe you shouldn't be intimate with them. Yes. Maybe you need to do a little more pre intimacy communication to get to that point.
0: Uh, I would like to welcome to the show CEO of Absorption Pharmaceuticals, Jeff Abraham. Absorption Pharmaceuticals introduced Promescent Delay Spray in 2011 and has rapidly been adopted by the medical community, including being recommended by some 2,200 urologists, as the first option for treating premature ejaculation, as well as for men wanting to extend their ejaculation latency time. Jeff, welcome to Water Cooler Talk.
1: I appreciate the opportunity. I like your style. <laughs>
0: Thank you. So as, as someone who's now spent you know a decade in the sexual wellness space, What have you learned about yourself in regards to how you talk about sex? And obviously we've been having a very open conversation about sex and you know, just that often taboo nature that surrounds sex.
1: It's really funny, I've always been open Mm -hmm. even prior to taking over this company. But since taking over the company, it's almost second nature. It feels almost uncomfortable if I go an hour without somehow some sexual talk coming into it because that's all I do all day. And because of everyone knows what I do for a living, even in my private life, I have people all the time ask me questions, you know, like, hey, have you ever heard of this? Like, what? And then sometimes I'll even go in the gym, you know, whatever. And someone will come up to me, hey, I heard your podcast talking about, you know, squirting, you know, whatever. And I have to be careful because every once in a while you get into relatively new territory, you meet someone brand new. And I'm just such an open book because it's such a part of my life now (laughs) that you start saying something and then you see someone's eyes roll around their head. They're like, whoa. And I'm like, oh, that's right. I just met this person. They don't even know what I do for a living yet. You know what I mean? And I have to really throttle it back and literally think, "Okay, this is new territory. This is someone who doesn't know what I do and who I don't know how comfortable they are discussing this yet.
0: Yeah, no, I think that's something like I've learned along the way of doing this show and discussing, I mean, a myriad of taboo topics is I'm an incredibly open person and honest person. But yeah, you sometimes have to bring it back in and kind of choose the right amount of openness when you first start meeting people, because a lot of people aren't comfortable with other people being as open or, you know, just not as normal to them. That's
1: exactly. So what I do when it's somewhat different, I kind of you know, take it one step at a time. I throw something out. Okay, if that's good, I go to the next step. And then you kind of, when you get to that second one, you go, okay, it's either fast forward or you go, okay, (laughs) this person's a little bit uh, puritanical. I better back it off here.
0: Yeah. And I think you really learn a lot about yourself when you are open because openness is obviously synonymous with vulnerability. And you really start to understand like where your stances are in life and I mean you can look back at any podcast episode I've done and you know I'm extremely open about you know who I voted for you know my sex life or people I've dated or all these things you can kind of pick and choose if you really want to know who Adam is just listen through the catalog of episodes and I think that's important for me and especially in the public space and you know you also being in the public space as well with what you do to be open but also be respectful of that openness I think that's important as well I
1: think one of the important things and I think when I did some research before I did this podcast, because I believe that we have to be aligned with everyone we work with. We have to be on similar wavelengths. And like you, I'm very open who I voted for, what my feeling is about medical marijuana as opposed to legalizing it. I, I'm i just honest, okay? It's who I am. I'm very comfortable when I lay down at night and I put my head on the pillow that I don't have any secrets. I don't deceive anyone. I walk straight down the middle of the road. I make eye contact with everyone. I feel good about who that I am. But the most important thing is, just like you said, even though I have my beliefs, I believe others are entitled to theirs as well. Yes. There's nothing worse than someone who goes, I have my beliefs, but everyone better believe this way. Okay. This is the only way. (laughs) I've been very open recently about saying that we need more bipartisanship in this country. Okay. We are so dug in on either side right now that it's just insane. We are a tribe, one or the other now. My side can do no wrong. They are all righteous. And your side is 100% evil and corrupt.
0: Yeah, it's crazy to see sometimes, I kind of see it as like, it's either or. But I'm like, well, it can be both. It can be both. You can take a little bit from here, a little bit from there. But I think people get so caught up in, yeah, like you said, you know, my way or the highway. And they think their highway leads to paradise when it doesn't. It
1: doesn't. No, there's no perfect political party, there's no perfect religion, there's no perfect mindset. Everyone's experiences are different. And recently I was laughing. I was telling my sister yesterday. I said, you know it's funny? The last four years I alienated all of my Republican friends. They're like, how dare you, you know, turncoat, I'm a registered libertarian. I'm not Republican or Democrat. Mm-hmm. Now recently I've alienated a lot of my Democratic friends. I go, everyone's <laughs> gonna hate my political views now. Because what's what's going on in Afghanistan I will tell you that without a doubt, my feeling is that both parties have a hand in it. And more the Republicans started the war, they propagated it, you know, this whole thing. But to say that this evacuation has been handled seamlessly is laughable. It was a total clusterfuck. And we could have done it. And I was saying this before it happened. I go, we got to get these people that help us out. We gotta get our people out before the deadline. Mm-hmm. And then the state comes cratering down. And so I've been critical of the way the administration handled this. And people are like, How dare you? I go, I'm honest. OK, I voted for Biden. I thought he was a better choice. I would vote for him again right now, 100 times out of 100 times because I thought the other guy was trying to ruin the country. OK, but that doesn't mean that everything he does is perfect. He's still allowed to make mistakes and to put my head in the sand and go, no, that was perfect. When I'm watching imperfection personified, I will never do that.
0: Well, yeah, and I, I think we need more honesty as a country because that's how you build from the rubble of this dishonesty and this misinformation and, you know, but honesty is so important and being open and, you know, being able to talk about sex and, you Exactly.
1: Know. And somehow we have to meet in the middle somehow, because I believe this country's best center left, center, center right. You can never go far left or far right because then you're alienating 75% of the people. Okay. <laughs> yeah. You can't go far left or far right. It has to be center left, center, center right. In a really successful society, it probably vacillates over decades in that area from center left to center right, depending upon what's going on.
0: Well, speaking of a country that goes a little too far sometimes, I believe you're ready to jump into our next story. All right. This is from BBC News China, February 4th, 2021. China promotes education drive to make boys more, quote, manly. A notice from China's education ministry has caused quite a stir after it suggested young Chinese men have become too feminine, and some say China's male celebrities are partly to blame. For a while, China's government has signaled concern that the country's most popular male role models are no longer strong athletic figures like many army heroes of the past. Even President Xi Jinping, a well-known soccer enthusiast, has long been seeking to cultivate better sports stars. A recent proposal by the education ministry titled to prevent the feminization of male adolescents, called on schools to fully reform their physical education programs and strengthen their recruitment of those teachers. The text specifically advised recruiting retired athletes and people from sporting backgrounds and, quote, vigorously developing particular sports like soccer. Zixie Shefu, a delegate to China's top advisory board, said earlier in the year that many of China's young males have become, quote, weak, timid, and self-abasing. He made the claim that the home environment was partly to blame, with most Chinese boys being raised by their mothers or grandmothers. He also noted that the growing appeal of certain celebrities, mainly boy bands throughout Asia, meant that many children did, quote, not want to be army heroes anymore. is really in need of army heroes, apparently. The overwhelming majority of reactions to the proposal have been negative. Hundreds of thousands of Chinese individuals have taken to social media to voice their anger and concern. Is feminization now a derogatory term? One social media user asked. Another said, boys are also humans. Being emotional, timid or gentle. These are human characteristics. On China's social media platform Weibo, supportive comments pointed towards China's male celebrities being to blame. Largely those who are known as, and (laughs) this is one of the more craziest things I've ever read in my life, Known as Little Fresh Meats, which is a common buzzword that refers to young Chinese males who are seen as squeaky clean, well-groomed, and with delicate features. Boy band TF Boys and Chinese singer Lu Han fall into this category. The quote, Little Fresh Meats phenomenon continues to be a proven success for expanding Chinese culture outside of mainland China. But... Young Chinese male celebrities come under increased scrutiny and find it difficult to be anything that departs from their squeaky clean mold. In recent years, the media has struggled to allow young male stars to appear on Chinese screens with tattoos or piercings, and in 2019, one of China's top pop stars from the boy band TF Boys came under fierce criticism when he was pictured illegally smoking in a Beijing restaurant. As President Xi hopes to turn China into a quote, world soccer superpower by 2050, some wonder if even he, Xi, is man enough to turn around the impossible task of China's national soccer team? So we talked a little bit uh, before we started recording, but I just kind of want to go back to that conversation on, you know, how you view masculinity. Like I said, you know, you grew up in a small town in Pennsylvania, built around coal and steel, working the early shift in a steel mill yourself, and being surrounded by that type of man. Like we were talking about, your original idea of what constitutes masculinity was very different than you know what a lot of people had as well growing up. Yeah, I, uh,
1: I didn't embrace that. I don't like the knuckle-dragging, testosterone-dripping, mm-hmm. caveman-drag-your-woman-home, you know what I mean, by the hair, you know, that kind of thing. I don't think that a man being sensitive and having feelings is a negative. I don't believe that a man maybe being cultured and maybe liking the arts as opposed to playing soccer or playing football is a negative. As a matter of fact, I think that most men literally need to be more well-rounded and they suffer from a society that literally tries to make every man be William the Conqueror. You're the provider, take care of your woman. And I think part of that is what makes men sometimes chauvinistic and look down on women because you never see women promoted as strong, as dominant, and physically aggressive. That's sometimes looked at as negative. So I think that's really negative. And a lot of Chinese men that are really popular are fit that stereotype. Maybe that's because that's what they desire. Maybe that's because that's who they are. There are differences in cultures. You know, sometimes people go it's stereotypical, but certain cultures do have certain characteristics. And I think you need to embrace it. If those things are really true and those things are innate and that's what those people want to project, then how do you then say we as a country have to change that picture of what masculinity is? Masculinity, no one can define it. It's up to every individual man to determine what his persona is. And I think that's really negative. That fits in with this whole You know, sometimes they call Asian women helicopter moms, you know what I mean? Because, you know, they control everything. That may be a helicopter premiere of a country where you're like, I want our country to symbolize virility and manliness and power and strength. Mm -hmm. Who says there's not power and strength in boy bands and, you know, artistic creation? You can't define masculinity by testosterone or overly aggressive, you know. Stereotypical behavior.
0: I I completely understand back in the day, you know, when countries were going to war with each other, and even back, you know, before that, you know, you wanted this idea of William the Conqueror, as you said, you know, this Conan the Barbarian, this gigantic guy that could go onto the battlefield and take out 20 different, you know, soldiers. But we're in modern day society where, you know, we have wars here and there, small skirmishes, but not at the aspect we had in, say, like the medieval times when you're going on It's a, not
1: physical contact. Yeah. It's not physical battles. It's dropping bombs or hitting grenades. I mean, the, I. when's the last time two guys ever stood there with a bayonet? Mm-hmm. You know Yeah, what I mean? we went like, from,
0: you know, having to be a brute to now being about being intelligent and, you know, being smarter than the other guy.
1: Maybe if you want to really win wars, have more engineers, mm-hmm. have more guys <laughs> that are video guys that can fly drones. You know what I mean? Because that's really the key to success on the battlefield. Now.
0: Exactly, and this modern idea of what a man should be and what masculinity is has completely changed. Even a hundred years ago, what you know they viewed what a man was compared to now is completely different. So, like you said, you know, more emotional men. Which I think is very good because I think just being more empathetic and caring of other people creates a better society. And you don't have to be this guy who's closed off, bottled up emotions, and then uses violence to get out those emotions.
1: A lot of men, even to this day, think crying Mm -hmm. is Yeah,
0: or you're a pussy for crying. You're a pussy.
1: You're fucking crying, okay? When my dad died, I cried for three days. He was my idol. There are times I still think about my dad and it brings tears in my eyes. When my mom died, I was crushed. When I lose people close to me, they mean enough to me that it brings up emotion, and I cry. If I see something sad, I'm not afraid to cry, because to me, that is a natural feeling. To suppress any feelings, positive or negative, is not good. Never good. It bottles it up. It creates anxiety. It creates, and you can't address something if you're afraid to express it.
0: Yeah, no, I think it's it's so important as a man and a modern day man in the society to really understand what our emotions are outside of just anger and sadness. And, you know, like I literally on my phone, I have this feelings wheel that goes into like depth about what I'm feeling because emotions are so much more deeper than what we presume them to be. And by understanding what those emotions are on a deeper level, you have a better opportunity to understanding what those emotions are and how to deal with them in healthy manners and not just bottling up these emotions and then, you know, going home to beat your wife because you're mad that you hate your job. No, absolutely. And then I also wanted to address the comment that uh, made putting partial blame of this feminization of males being because of the mothers, grandmothers who raised them. And, you know, obviously this goes into a little more of the nature versus nurture debate. But how much weight would you put on a comment like that?
1: I know a lot of really strong men that were raised by their moms or their grandmothers. I also, I do believe that having a strong male role model is good for young boys. Mm -hmm. I had many, my father, my uncles, you know, the whole things. I think there's ways to be a very healthy, strong male adult without having that. Now, that certainly helps. But the idea that if you're raised by a woman, that it doesn't make you as manly I think is absurd.
0: Yeah, I was I was raised by, you know, a handful of really strong, independent women, you know, and I also had a good father figure as well. But yeah, I understood, you know, what they brought to the table and making me more empathetic. But at the same time, you know, I had my dad and I had movies and TV shows that I could say, all right, well, you know, sometimes I'll drink a glass of whiskey and smoke a cigar. Yeah,
1: exactly. There's nothing wrong with that. I think it also feeds right back into that same thing that if you're not, over hyperly aggressive and testosterone dripping, that you're less of a man. You know what I mean? That mm-hmm. that that same definition of manliness is the hyper male. You know what I mean? The aggressive yep. type <laughs> yes. A. That every every gender is comprised of many different ranges, the whole scope, and they can all be positive role models. And I think for a lot of young men, they're going to find someone that they you know associate with. They're going to find someone that they connect with. And that's the path they're going to take.
0: Like I remember growing up, falling in love with Conan O'Brien as like a, a male figure. And I was like, all right, this guy is not the typical male idea of what you would think, like an Arnold Schwarzenegger type. He's this really skinny, tall, funky hair comedian. But I'm like, this guy gets it. He's so comfortable in himself that he doesn't need to act another
1: Self-deprecating. way. Self-deprecating. He, he is the... King of self-deprecating humor He embraces being a dork Okay, he really does He celebrates being a dork And so many of his sketches Are literally him dancing around You know what I mean? Like making these funny faces And saying, of course I'm dorky You know, look at my You know, I I go outside I use SPF 3000 (laughs) Because I'm so white You know what I mean? Yeah And now I was already fully formed I think I'm older than him So I didn't have to look up to him Because of our age difference But I absolutely love Conan O'Brien I love him and to me, he is very healthy for young males. Yes. For this reason. He didn't say, oh, I don't fit in. I'm not buffed. You know what I mean? I'm not dark and handsome. I am literally milk white. Like you said, he's got that... Pez dispenser head, you know what I mean, with the, the thing, and, and he's dorky, and but he's hilarious and intelligent, and he's very funny, and he's caring. You know, you see some of the things he does. He's very involved in charity. He would be, to me, an excellent role model if I had a young son. I'd go, feel very comfortable looking at Conan O'Brien because he's not fitting anyone else's mold. He's not trying to be anyone else's stereotype of the typical male. He's very comfortable being Conan O'Brien. Yeah,
0: I think that's, you know, what really has drawn me to him specifically is like he's so comfortable being himself. And I think there's such a great strength in being able to be comfortable as yourself and be vulnerable the way he is vulnerable.
1: Everyone now, and I notice this, they look around and they want to be who everyone, they, they think that I have to be who everyone thinks that I should be. Yeah. Not enough people are like, this is who I am. I am comfortable with who I am. And I am not going to try to be anyone other than exactly who I am.
0: And I think also with that, it's also important to say that, you know, someone like Brad Pitt or George Clooney, they are also good role models for men. You know, there's so many different options. And I think that's the important thing about just getting this kind of message out there, you know, specifically in what, you know, China describes as manly that. Men come, just like penises, come in all different shapes and sizes, and I think that needs to be talked about more and normalized more.
1: I think Brad Pitt is an example. I really admire him. He was very open. He had a problem with alcohol abuse, you know, and he went and sought treatment. I think he's a good father. He's still involved with all those kids, even the ones that they adopted. You see some of the self-deprecating, you know, videos that he comes out with. He's freaking hilarious. He's a tremendous actor. He's obviously, unlike Conan, he is the typical handsome, you know, buffed out dude, (laughs) but he's, he shows a full range of emotions and he's vulnerable. I admire someone who addresses their issues head on and shows a vulnerability, but also a strength, you know, Brad Pitt, you see some of the, they pranks, they play on him and George Clooney and, you know, Matt Damon Mm -hmm. on each other. And you're like, they're not afraid to be vulnerable. They're not afraid to be real, you know? And that's,
0: you know, one of the things that Always surprised me so much. Like I tell every one of my friends that I'm close with that I love them. And they're like, oh, we're men. We can't say we love each other. It's like, why not? I care about you, man. Like I would be so sad if you were gone. Like I miss when you're. we don't hang out. And it's just like, this is part of just being a human. Caring my about family,
1: people. You'll, you'll, you'll really relate to this. So even though I had a loving family, I grew up in the era where you just didn't say that. And I remember when I was in college, one of my friends, his father passed away. And I just hit me. I go, wow, that can actually happen. You know, like, you know, my dad was 55 or whatever at the time. So I moved to California. And I remember saying, I don't want to ever have to realize I wish I would have said I love you to my mom and dad. Yeah, Never said. It was always implied. So I remember one time I was talking to my mom on the phone. And it was like, at the very end of the conversation, I'm like, okay, I love you, mom. It was like a light bulb. Oh, I love you too, son. It was like, oh, okay, it's okay to say. They had never said that brothers and sisters. So then I remember, okay, I got to say it to my dad. So then she goes, Oh, here's your dad. And I was talking to my dad. We're talking about baseball, football. And it was like, "Eh," And it just didn't seem right. Then the second time, it was like, I was talking to my dad like a week later. It was like,
0: "Uh."
1: Finally, the third time, I said, No matter what, I'm going to blurt it out. You know, this has to, we got to get over this hurdle. So I'm talking to my dad third time. At the very end, I'm like, Okay, I love you, dad. He's like, Okay, here's your mom. And he had to think about it. The next time I talked to him, I said it again. He goes, I love you, son. From that point forward, never an issue. Every time I talk to my mom and dad, I love you. I love you, son. So I decided when I became a parent that I was never going to allow my son to have to have that awkward moment from the time he was born every day. I love it. We've never stopped. And I remember I'd take him to school and it always stopped. He was 10, 12 years old. Give me a big hug. I love you, dad. And his friends were like, oh, I love you. They were making fun of him. He didn't care (laughs) because to him, he was comfortable with it even to this day. Every time I talk to my son, I love you, Nick. I love you, dad. You know, and that is special to me because I didn't have that. And I had to go through this awkward stage of saying, okay, I'll be the first one to break the barrier. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. That I will say it. I'm so glad that he's never going to have to face that, that he's totally comfortable.
0: Yeah. Well, within like, you know, the 64 years of life you had so far, having a son, you know, how have you seen the role of men change through kind of your lifetime?
1: Oh, I think it's changed for the positive. I think that in some places it's not changing, in other places it is. You have to be aware to affect the change. I know in my circle, and I happen to hang out with people that are like-minded for the most part, that they're totally comfortable expressing to their sons, to their nephews, to everyone, that it's okay to be your definition of a man. Everyone's definition of a man doesn't have to be John Wayne. You don't have to have a 10-gallon hat and a you know, a, a Colton Wesson hanging from your thing. You know what I mean? And yeah. you, know, you don't have to be dirty, hairy duking it out in the street. You know what I mean? I've told my son on a couple of occasions, you know, we've had these discussions and I said, I wouldn't love you any less no matter what your sexuality was. I know that in the past that there were a lot of people that if their children were gay, they were like hiding it. It was like a shame that people had to be in the closet. And I think that in my circle of majority of my close friends that their children are free to be who they want to be and express their sexuality. I didn't think that was the case before. Even if you're a man and you're a straight man, you don't have to be this definition of losing testosterone. You can be sensitive, you can be caring, and no one is going to chastise you for that or say, why do you feel that way? That path is started, but we're a long way from being there where society in general is
0: comfortable. Well, yeah, even in, you know, my 26 years of life, I've seen, you know, some of that change from, even after something like 9-11, like just to see the emotion in people's faces that I'm like oh these are really tough dudes and these these guys are crying I was like I literally have a Clint Eastwood poster above my bed because you know I loved watching those movies and you know in those movies it was that stoic personality you know nothing bothered you a cigar out the side of the lip but like after that moment just being able to see those moments of these are grown-ass men crying that I've never even seen smile before and I think that opened me up to being like all right there's different kinds of men in our world. And I need to do my duty to seek those men out and really learn from them.
1: Most good people and most well-rounded people take a little bit from a lot of different people. I know in my life, I've had very good influences, all very different people. And what I've tried to do is keep the fabric of who I am intact. You never want to go, I want to be just like him, I'm going to mimic everything, (laughs) because it's not genuine. Mm -hmm. But I know that I've refined myself and that You know, I've rounded off some rough edges by looking at people that I admired and looking at people that I thought were really good human beings and realizing they had a perspective that I didn't have, realizing they had life experiences that I didn't have that taught them things that I might never know unless I literally opened myself up to it. And I think it's very important to, even at 64 years old, to never realize you're a finished product and you're capable of learning and evolving and becoming more caring, more sensitive, attuned to what's going on with the rest of the world. I am really, really saddened by what's going on in Afghanistan. And I've now set up to hopefully sponsor someone and to become involved because I believe that we as a nation can't go in and invade another country and spend 20 years there. And then the people that risk their lives to help us, we can't abandon them. Yeah. We cannot. cannot. It's inconceivable to me that that could even be a possibility. It's very important. That we have empathy for people that don't have what we have.
0: I think you have a, a quote, something to the effect of, you know, no one else has walked your path. Yes. And, you know, you have to connect with people and learn their perspectives and kind of, you know, share your own experiences. And because no one's life is the same.
1: My son graduated in uh, 2007 from high school. In 2009, one of his friends was, joined the military. He was home on leave. We were in a restaurant. And I said, hey, come over here. I want to buy you dinner. I just want to pick your brain. He was in Afghanistan. And I just sat there for hours and hours learning from him. One of the things that I always do when I meet people who have emigrated to this country, I immediately want to sit down and talk to them for hours. And I say to them, what was your impression of America when you were growing up in Taiwan or South Africa or Ecuador, wherever? When you came here, what was different from the way you pictured it? What was more positive? What was more negative? Mm -hmm. We as a country are led to believe here that America... And believe me, I'm the most loyal American. This country gave me the chance to better myself. There were so many opportunities afforded to me that in some countries to this day, if you're born poor, you die poor. This isn't one of them. Okay, you have a chance. So I am a loyal, proud American. But just like every human being, every country is not perfect. And so many people in this country feel like if you say anything, Well, we didn't do this right as a country. Oh, how dare you're an American? No, I'm real. Okay, just like people can improve, countries can improve. And I think when you look at Vietnam and you look at, you know, Kosovo and you look at now Afghanistan, somehow we keep making the same mistakes over and over and over again. Mm -hmm. And when I sat there and I talked to this one kid that my son graduated with that went to Afghanistan, this was in, I think, 2010, I said, I don't want to put you on the spot. You don't have to answer this. I said, but if you had to pay the ultimate price, if you had to lose your life, would you think it would be worth it? And he looked at me, and said, Jeff, absolutely not. He said, that place is an absolute circle jerk. We have no business being there. He said, a lot of people in Afghanistan don't even know they live in Afghanistan. They just, they're in a tribal area. They know they have a tribal lord. They don't even know what Afghanistan is. He said, the only thing I'm concerned about, I have two more tours, I have to go back is getting as many of my brothers home alive and myself home alive. He said, this is absolutely pointless. It's a joke. I have no idea. We're over there supposedly protecting these people. They don't want us there. They don't trust us. They keep saying, you know, the French were here. The English were here. The Soviets were here. Everybody was here. They last 10 or 15 years, but the Taliban is gonna be here there. They have patience. You guys will eventually leave and they're gonna murder us. And I'm like, that's exactly what happened, okay? He was a freaking 20-year-old grunt there on the ground. He knew that
0: 15 years ago. You'd hope that... Through all these conflicts that we've been in, we would learn along the way, you know, learn to go into Afghanistan and learn the local culture and realize that Kabul is the big city. But then there's all these other regions, like you said, of just tribes that are run by warlords that if you pay them a few bucks, they'll be on whatever side they want. And we don't do that.
1: Sometimes they're on both sides at the same time if both are paying them. Okay. Mm -hmm. to try to go there, we're going to build an American like democracy is Absurd! And all the presidents during that time lied to us, every single one. Bush, Obama, Trump, and now Biden. They have not been honest with us. It was a absolute joke. We shouldn't have been there. And then you read these memos that come out that they were getting memos that said, this is unwinnable. And they were still, oh, we'll have a surge. We'll do this. You know, in, in some cases, they have to, I guess. It's part of, you know, yeah. politics. But at a certain point, and I give Biden credit for this, he's said, we gotta get out, okay? Now the withdrawal could've been handled much better. But how do you think the families that lost loved ones feel now knowing it was pointless and worthless? We should've went there, taken out Al Qaeda who was organizing those bases and then left if the Soviet Union spent 20 years there, they border Afghanistan, okay? And they set freaking half their army over there. If they couldn't do it, how arrogant do we have to be thinking we're going to?
0: I know. I think we're on the same page on that one. Uh, Jeff, thank you for taking the time to share your perspective on some of the strangest and most interesting news stories the world has to offer in a productive and meaningful conversation. Listeners, if you would like to connect more with Jeff, listen to other podcasts he's been on, or check out what Promescent is all about. You can do so by following him on Twitter or Instagram at Jeff Abraham one one one. Once again, that's on Twitter and Instagram at Jeff Abraham one one one. And of course, as always, those links will be included in the description of this episode and on our website www.watercoolertalkpod.com. And as always, thank you to all my listeners for listening to another episode of Water Cooler Talk back after our summer break. The only such podcast on the internet hosted by myself and guest hosted today by Jeff, where we take the strangest and most interesting real-life news stories from around the world and, well, just try and have a good old conversation about some of the ideas discussed in those bizarre news stories. All right, Jeff, we are to my favorite portion of the show where I hand off the show to you to close it out with whatever words you think need to be said to perfectly wrap up this episode. Jeff, the floor is yours. First
1: of all, I want to thank you for having me on. This is probably the favorite podcast I've ever done. done I love hearing that. (laughs) Because it's just open and Mm -hmm. honest. And it wasn't geared towards any sort of a jet, Well, if you know?
0: I can jump in here. So I listen to a lot of the podcasts you've been on, you know, and I spend a lot of time doing research because I want the guests to feel like they matter. Mm-hmm. And I spent a lot of time listening to the podcast you've been on and it was always the same conversation. And I get it. It's your life and you like talking about your life, but I'm like, maybe he wants to talk about something a little different. Absolutely. And that's what I think my show does really well is really take people that sometimes have been in the public space and have talked a lot about themselves and kind of flip the script a little bit and do it a little different. I don't know if you've uh, seen that show, Hot Ones, but kind of like that, but without the hot wings. You know, it's a different style of interview show because I think interview shows specifically are getting boring because it's just like, all right, tell me about your life.
1: No, that's exactly, and not only that, tell me about sexual wellness, tell me about that. That's all I do all day, every day, okay? I like expanding my point of view. I like hearing your point of view. I like talking about a myriad of topics that really are important topics, okay? When we talk about male sexuality, when we talk about the fragile male ego, these are things that need to be addressed. Men need to know and men need to understand that they're not expected to be barbarians. They're Mm -hmm. not expected to be, like you said, Conan the Barbarian. When we talk about communication... It's important for people to understand how key that is to good relationships. Not just intimate relationships, but friendships, business relationships, family relationships. Open, honest communication is the key. It's the fundamental building block. With the company that I run now, like I told you, I came out of retirement to run it. We really and truly have our focus about couples. This isn't about men or maybe it's about two men, you know, cause we're certainly open to whatever your sexuality is. Unlike people before us, where it was all like, it's all about you, you need better performance. It's all, for us, it's about couples. It's about mutual satisfaction, whoever your partner is that you both want to have sexual satisfaction. So I think that's important. I learned from this podcast. Sometimes even when someone asks you questions that you're not usually asked, sometimes even when you're talking about it, you're realizing you know i didn't really feel i felt that strongly about this and it brings up emotions in you you know yeah. what i mean mm-hmm. and sometimes you learn from yourself believe it or not because the way a certain person asks you a question it stimulates thoughts and really takes you to something you haven't really thought that more you know closely about and and all of a sudden you realize that maybe you're not as entrenched in a belief as you thought you were and you're starting to evolve because the more points of view that you hear, especially from people that you respect, it can round off the rough edges in certain, you know, views that you have. It can help promote maybe a thought process you're already headed in that direction. But hearing another point of view helps you in that direction. It may help pull you back from an area you're going too far in. It may be you're, Mm -hmm. you know, you're starting to gravitate. You go, whoa, I respect this guy. You know, that is a different way to look at it. Maybe it's not that extreme. But the most important thing is, to have conversations outside of the ones you have all day, every day.
0: Like, yeah, I don't want to have that same conversation over and over and over and over again. Like, I'm willing to have that conversation, but I want to have it in different ways.
1: No, you're very mature and very, uh, obviously, <laughs> yeah. well-read for your age. At 26, I'm not sure I... Uh, had the same perspective that you have
0: right now a lot of good strong women in my life (laughs) yeah that's that's awesome well before we go i want to do kind of a deep one so i know the small town you grew up in they're really into their parades and fourth of july parade and like literally people it sounds like they will put out their chairs like way in advance. You
1: have done your research. The 4th of July parade is the biggest thing where I'm from.
0: What's the longest you, your family or you, if you went back, have put out a chair to reserve a spot? Because I know some people do it like weeks in advance. Well, it's funny
1: you'd say that because I lived in Canisburg, Pennsylvania where they had this big parade every year. Then I went to Huntington Beach. That's where I lived the next 30 years. So for the first 55 years of my life, I literally lived in a place where the biggest, the Huntington Beach parade is the largest one west of the Mississippi. So I will tell you that In Huntington Beach, it wasn't me specifically, but a girl that I was dating wanted to have front row seats at the Huntington Beach parade. Mm -hmm. So they allow you to go put the chairs out 48 hours in advance. Okay. You tape it off, you put your space there. And she had a young uh, daughter who was three and my son was older at the time. So 48 hours, right when they, because they have cops and everything patrolling, she went out and taped off the area. But then she literally went. The night before, at two a.m., the parade started at seven a.m. To say I want to make sure no one, you know what I mean, takes my spot. Mm-hmm. I said, "Well, I'll be there at you know seven when the parade starts." But she went two days prior <laughs> to map out and put these six chairs because we had six people, and then she went two a.m. To make sure that that area was pristine in case she had to like, you know, defend her territories that she was there. Now, of course, I woke up at 6.30 and rolled in right when the parade Uh started. But two days
0: ahead of time. Two days. All right. Well, Jeff, it's been an absolute pleasure to have you on the show. You're more than welcome back anytime. Uh, Listeners, until next time. Peace. This is the story of a podcast that takes weird news from across the world. And while many of these stories may seem fake, they're absolutely not. Because they're real